Welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast that analyzes and makes fun of all your favorite horror movies. I'm Mary Kay. I'm Mary. I'm Rachel. And today we're going to talk about the 2008 film written and directed by Brian Bertino, The Strangers. Um, if you haven't seen this yet, you can watch it. I know you can rent it on Amazon Prime. Yes. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm telling you to watch this movie because we will spoil the shit out of it for you. And we'll start with an icebreaker, but first I need to tell y'all that you need to buy my book if you haven't already. Buy her book! You gotta do it. Buy my book. You haven't bought her book, you fucking monsters. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, there's really no excuse for you. <laughs> I thought you were about to say there was no reason to, and I was like, what? <laughs> why would you it, think I would say that? I thought it was weird. I didn't That's think why that. I was appalled. <laughs> this is how Mary really thinks of me, everyone. It's called America's First Female Serial Killer. It's about Jane Toppin and the making of a monster. And it's available on Kindle. It's available in paperback. It's available on audiobook. And if you want a signed copy, you just message me and we will handle it. Um. Also, if you already did read it and you haven't yet, leave me an Amazon review, please, because it, like, I don't really understand how algorithms work, but apparently it, like, sends more people to that page, like, so more exposure. Also, don't forget to rate and review and subscribe this podcast, Everything Trying to Kill You. On that note, y'all, I found myself, and Mary, like, had a disclaimer right before we started recording for me, where I was like, so annoyed at Kirsten's voice the whole time. Like, it was so pathetic to me that I just wanted to read subtitles the whole time because I was like, I know it's good acting, but gosh. And Mary was like, I think Liv Tyler just actually sounds like that. Kind Are of. you sure you want to be a shithead? <laughs> <laughs> that is not the language I use. Not even no, she was much more diplomatic about it. But she was like, you're going to come across as kind of bitchy. <laughs> I was like, uh, Yeah. As a person who hates her own voice and tries with a ton of effort to change it, I feel entitled to say I was annoyed. Yeah, but she, like, (laughs) made so much money and acclaim for, like, having that attribute to her character in Lord of the Rings, I feel like. Actually, she altered her voice significantly for that. Oh, god damn it! She, so she, (laughs) she deepened her voice a lot. If you, if, okay... Spoken as someone, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna level guys. I have watched every extended edition with this, all of the, every commentary multiple times. I have watched every special feature multiple times. And she actually says, I think in one of the commentaries, she's like, I can't even recognize my voice. And like, I sound so strange to myself. And when they're all watching with her, they're like, oh yeah, we forgot you sounded like that while we were recording. Cause her natural voice is, is higher and breathier. And in the movies, she kind of drops it. So it's deeper and more even and and, and more full sounding. Yeah. Well, it, it is per- like that high breathy voice is perfect for this role, mm-hmm. but it was still very annoying to me. So my question is, and this is a silly question. It's more of like a screenplay idea than an actual suggestion. <laughs> but okay. whose voice would you rather Kirsten have had? Mm-hmm. Is it Kirsten or is it Kristen? I think it's Kristen. Kristen. K-R- Kristen. Okay. When I rewatched, I made a note of that. I was like, oh, I couldn't have told you before I rewatched if it was Kier or Chris. Kristen and James. Or as Kristen calls him, baby. Mm-hmm. Almost exclusively. I would call Scott Speedman baby. I'm okay with it. I... I find it usually patronizing because of that episode of The Office where it's like, good luck paying me back on your zero dollars a year plus benefits, babe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. saying babe the whole time. Whenever I hear babe now, like that's the first thing I go to is the dinner party episode of The Office. Yeah. And then like Jim and Pam in the end are sitting in his car and they're like, just keep calling each other babe, ironically, because of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do love it. And also, oh, I just had a recovered memory. I was drunk at the lake and me and my boyfriend were comparing chips with which to dip buffalo dip with. And he was like, look how good my chip is. And I was like, good job, baby. That's a perfect chip. <laughs> so I do like to use it ironically like Jim and Pete. <laughs> but 
Yeah, so, Mary, you want to go first about whose voice? Do you really want me to go first? Because I'm just going to say something fucking ridiculous. Like, you let me completely recast a voice. Am I actually supposed to pick someone who would make sense for this, or can I just do whatever the hell I want? Are you going to pick, like, Mercedes, whatever her last name is, from The Exorcist? No, I was going to say Donald (laughs) Sutherland. Oh, nice. (laughs) I just really like his voice. I always have. Oh, yes. What about you, Rachel? So there's this Instagram person I've followed forever. His name is Benito Skinner, but he his handle is Betty Jama. Shout out. He does this video where he where he does like a an reenactment of Annie, but like older. Okay. And she has like this like n- like New Yorker, New Jersey, like really heavy smokers like voice. Like, yeah, I seen some shit. <laughs> and when you said like what voice could it would really elevate the character i think you're right but now i want to change my answer <laughs> now i want to change my answer to an internet personality and i want it to be andrew farmer yeah who's andrew farmer oh my fucking god rachel i'm gonna set myself on fire <laughs> <sighs> rachel i keep reposting you know him, him. You do yeah, know him. you know him. So have you seen any of those Twitter videos where it's Anne Dowd playing the wrong characters? That's him. I don't ever use Twitter. He also did the, um, and this doesn't tell you his voice, but didn't he do the Wendy illustrations? I was so weak. And then I showed that to my mother and she just was like jamming out to the song. And she didn't, like, even when... She was like shooting lightning out of her eyes or whatever the fuck. Mom was yeah. just like, da, da, we're going to link da, to this in da, the show notes. Yeah. And she was just like singing along. And I was like, mom, she's burning people to death. She was like, I know. <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm literally doing like a Google image search. This is, this is getting scary now for other reasons. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, but I, Andrew Farmer, I think, could come up with just the right voice for this. Wonderful. I I pick Maya Rudolph, hopefully, mm-hmm. as the hormone monstrous. Of course. How did I not know that you were going to say that? I don't know. I'm pretty predictable. You you reference her a lot. That's like I your, love it so much. If there's like one of three things Mary Kay's <laughs> constantly thinking yeah. about, that has to be one of them. It's true. Oh, man. Um, so my first question is, is this movie scary? Yeah. 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 Okay. That's whatever. So I already told the girls this story, and I'm going to give a quick retelling of this story that my older brother, who is a Marine, by the way, and he's also huge, by the way, and has always been huge. And when I was in high school, and I worked at Papa John's, and I would come home late, and I was home again late, and then I get a phone call from my brother, who was not home, which is not abnormal because it was high school. And he was like, hey, are you home? Yeah, I'm home. What's up? He's like, can you come to the garage? I go to the garage and I open up the garage and then he brings in his car and he comes in. He goes, okay, I was just like really freaked out because me and my friend Mark, we went to go see that movie and I was just too scared to come inside the house um, until like one of you came out to like make sure it was okay. I I definitely don't like the idea of a home invasion, especially because we're still on like shelter in place. So we have to be in our homes. Oh yeah, good um, point. Not not of course like to a severe level of lockdown, but it's like if you don't have to go outside, stay inside pretty much or stay away from other people at least. And I was just thinking as I started the movie, I can already tell that watching this alone is a fucking mistake. (laughs) But honestly, like the freakiest part to me was the beginning because I don't like 911 calls and that was a really, like, uh, I don't like that. It was real scary. Yeah, especially because there were children and how you could hear how freaked out they were. Mm -hmm. And you see in the opening, you see in the scene that ensued it that there was no danger. They were gone. But because they're children, they're so scared by what they're seeing. Right. And that woman grabbed his arm, Kristen. That was, that's very scary. That was the scariest part in the entire movie was that jump scare. It was a jump scare, and then it made me mad. Oh, yeah. I mean, do I have issues with it from a storytelling, like, structural? Sure. But the actual effect of the moment, great. 
I thought they used deep focus a lot in this, and for a home invasion movie, it's really effective, especially because they're wearing those creepy white masks. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so then you get the floating head effect, because yeah. if they're in shadow, the only thing right. you can see in deep focus is that, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, there were, there, there were plenty of things that I thought the movie did well, and I do yeah. feel like, um, man, Liv Tyler can do a fuck of a lot with her face. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I'm I'm always right yeah. there. She did, she, think about how long in this movie she's, like, alone in a house and not talking to anyone. Right. And you still, like, are right there with her. She's, she, I think yeah. she does a tremendous job. Also, I fucking love that she starts this movie in the hot backless dress. And when shit yeah. starts going down, she's like, hell nah, and gets into her jeans and a flannel. Yes, except for she's an incredibly beautiful woman, and that is the most unflattering mm-hmm. bridesmaid's dress I've ever seen. Also, I've never understood how she could be so hot and her father be Steven Tyler. I just don't get it. She I does, don't get him. You see the resemblance there, though, right? Like, just enough. I do, yeah. but it's just like they were like, oh, this this Cupid's bow is a good addition to this beautiful woman's face. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, it's just, it, I don't know how they... Like, you know what? If you sound if you sound like Steven Tyler, you get to look like Steven Tyler, and your life still turns oh. out okay. Oh, yeah. Right? No, he's great. Mm-hmm. He's very talented, just aesthetically. Yeah. Wouldn't seem like he could reproduce someone who looks like her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well she didn't know that was her dad until she was like older yeah yeah they don't sound alike at all <laughs> no they don't <laughs> couldn't help it had to do it <laughs> you know i didn't so i didn't see this for the first time until we were watching this because back in 2008 as we've all discussed i didn't like scary movies oh yeah no same i've only seen it twice for this episode so um I didn't. I don't have the kind of like history or attachment with it that Rachel does, so I didn't feel quite the same way watching it. Um, the scariest part to me was realizing about ten minutes in that I had been led to identify with and care about the kind of monsters who would leave an entire carton of bluebell on the table to melt. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I just. I mean, my it's it's the ice cream God would keep in his freezer, like Jesus. <laughs> Was like loaves, fishes, pistachio almond. <laughs> Even considering the amount of emotional distress that both of them were in, that's just a, a rule you do not break. Yeah, there's actually a point later in the movie where one of the masked people like walks over there and is looking at this at the table, and you know, like you don't have to see that dude's face to know he's like, <laughs> "What the fuck? These people deserve everything we are doing to them." <laughs> Just staring at that ice cream. Was that the moment when one of them like said, "He's gonna kill you"? I don't. I don't think it was. Probably. That They're I probably think, looking think... at the ice cream, being like, "Oh yeah, now he's definitely gonna fucking." Yeah. Kill at you. the end, when they're driving away, and the one tells the other girl, "Like it'll be easier next time." I know she's talking about the ice cream. Like it's never. <laughs> you think it'll never get easier to see something like that, but it will. It will. We're gonna keep hunting these people down, and we're gonna keep exterminating the people who are imperiling our beloved Bluebell. Um, so I was like for the first 20 minutes of this movie, really on the edge of my seat, like they had just had a rift in their relationship. I, we don't see it on screen, but he proposed and she was like, I can't right now, which I identify with personally. (laughs) Yes. To quote Wendy Bell, anything that is not a yes is a kick in the balls. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I love Wendy. Everyone knows it's Wendy. <laughs> and Wendy has stormy eyes. <laughs> That's my audio interpretation. The metal version. That's my audio interpretation <laughs> of Andrew's illustration. Oh, don't worry, y'all. We have that link for you in our show notes. It will not disappoint you. Oh my god, he never does. No, he's amazing. Okay, so I'm identifying with her. She takes a bubble bath, and then he's just, like, hanging out out there, lighting candles, feeling sorry for himself, eating ice cream from the tub. And she's like, oh, I'm out of cigarettes. This is my escape. And he's like, I'll go get them for you. And she's like, fuck. I mean, none of this is all subtext, right? Where she's like, that was, I was trying to get out. Um, Which, it does seem like they have a lot of feelings for each other, but it also, she sounds like she's 20. I mean, I'm sure she's not actually, but he leaves her by herself in the woods, out in the headish, all by herself. And I just don't like that at all. So first of all, and then the masked people just kept pranking her. They didn't actually do anything until the end. And I was like, there's no development of this plot. It's just new ways of torturing her with anticipation. 
Yeah. I had the exact same feeling, right? Where I was like, wait, you came all the way up in the house and then you left? What? Right. And I found myself side by side in this a lot with Hush. Because we did not have that issue with Hush. We were watching and we were like, um, his only reason for doing this is that he wants to. I'm here for it. I get it. But that developed in a distinct way. He needed to get mm-hmm. into the house and he couldn't. Mm-hmm. Once he got into the house, he needed mm-hmm. to get to her and he couldn't. Right. Once he got to her, he needed to like make contact, but he needed to take a certain amount of enjoyment in it, which complicated. Like right. There were specific complicators. And in these circumstances, it was like they could already have gotten in the house and killed her if the point was killing. If the point but was, the point is not killing. The point is torture. I was like, okay, well. But the alleged point is killing because she says, she asks, why are you doing this? And the first time they don't answer. And the second time the girl says, well, you were home. Which is also on the cover of the movie. Like, why did you do that? Whose idea was it to put that on the cover? To spoil it. It's a, it is a spoiler. Yeah. Because you think there, I would have thought there was going to be more to it. Like, they asked for Tamara. Who's Tamara? Do they, are they with the wrong person? Right. The torture just seemed to be, like, incidental. Like, they were, as if they were just kind of, like, hanging out and people would freak out anyway. Mm-hmm. I think the closest I got to a, like, oh, they are running game on these people was maybe it didn't feel necessarily intentional on the part of the masked people which was the death of Mike. Yes. And that by driving... You mean Dennis? <laughs> yeah, Dennis. <laughs> Glenn <laughs> Howerton, who speaks a billion languages and is incredibly handsome. Um, <laughs> so and I, the only reason I thought, okay, maybe they did this on purpose was that they threw the rock at the car to get him out of the car. Yeah. To like drive him into the house. But I was like, man, I, I mean, I guess they knew he had the gun. I guess they could reasonably assume that he might fire. But even then, like, that was a lot of dice rolling for your torture here. Otherwise, you just, like, let a person with a cell phone into the house. <laughs> yeah, there was no, like, there was no plan. It didn't feel like there was. Well, I, I disagree with there not being a plan. I think it's very loose-ended. Okay. But I have a theory okay. that in this movie that these people are involved in a cult, and it's the the same kind of theory because um, some of the audiences, a lot of the audiences who watched this, they likened it to the Manson murders mm-hmm. because it's to me it comes off very ritualistic. That okay. the last time we talked about some like in Creep Two, I I used this expression of cat and mouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, incorrectly that Mary corrected me wrong that this is not the expression that you use but what I was trying to get across is that somebody who plays with their food that Mm -hmm. it's not just for the the end goal it's for the entertainment that comes through it it's like foreplay Um, and this entire movie made me think that oh they're fucking with them to get the most extreme reactions that they can before they get to the very before they get to the killing itself okay i can buy that and so like some of the things that they pulled like with suddenly making the music super super loud or banging on the door or repeat remember when it was skipping when like joanna newsom was skipping Mm -hmm. the old baby on vinyl was skipping Mm. yes like super scary (laughs) stuff but also like this like auditory overload like for people who are autistic who can't handle it and it's like at some points during the movie you're like i can't can't handle this yeah like when they played mama tried Mm -hmm. while he's walking in the house (laughs) and it's just like they're 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 fucking with them and i felt like it was a lot of parts of what they did was very ritualistic to ask for someone with a name as specific as tamara and not like a sarah but like someone with the name like Tamara mm-hmm. is so specific that I felt like every single thing that they did was very specific. But it's still open-ended because when the friend came, it's like, well, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? But look how it still ended up. I legit thought they just asked for, asked for Tamara because it's a relatively uncommon name. So they weren't going to be like, oh, yeah, she's here. Right. Okay. Good point. Because it would mess up their whole plan if they said, hey, is Sarah there? And there's a Sarah in every third house. So someone would have been like, yeah, what do you want with her? So that's, that was, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, they just need to make sure that they put you on alert. Like you're up, you're awake, you're going to be participating in this weirdness. Mm-hmm. But they're not like caught out in it. Like they have a reason to walk away. Yeah. So, so the narrative for, or the movie for y'all, it didn't lose steam. It did. It did. Okay. Okay. 
It did for me too. When we when Mary Kay was texting us as she was watching it, at one point she was like, Well now I'm like and sent like the shrug emoji. Right. And I definitely had that moment too where I was like, uh huh, uh huh, wait, how much longer is this? And I looked and I was like, Oh no. Right. <laughs> uh, so I feel like I <laughs> I wrote down that for Cabin in the Woods, which is an episode that we already did, listeners, so if you haven't listened to that one, you want to. That one was really fun. Um, you I feel definitely like, do. Yeah. I feel like Drew Goddard saw this movie and he was like, so I'm going to do The Strangers, but make it fashion. <laughs> the Strangers, <laughs> but like... Vogue. Fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I'm here for that. I, and I couldn't... I. I could. I was frustrated because normally I will be able to say like, "Oh, this is the problem. I don't know how to fix it, but I don't. I know why it happened, and I couldn't figure out why it lost steam for me." I think for me, and I thought about this since you said that 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 you had that moment because the first time I watched it, I had that feeling too, and I was like, "I wonder when it happened." And when I rewatched today, I was like, "You know, I think that the death of Mike feels like such. Mm-hmm. It's so upsetting because." One of the first things we hear, one of the first lines actually spoken aloud by a human in this movie is James telling Kristen that Mike is the guy who came and helped him put candles and rose petals everywhere. Right. Like, this is someone he's close enough to that this dude, like, helped him plan the proposal. Um, right. This I dude. This is his brother. Yeah, drives out there. And, the, like, the thing that Mike has some association with the house, right? I thought I thought they were brothers. Comes yeah, out they there. they up there. Or they were neighbors or yeah, something. Comes out there to yeah. pick him up in the middle of the night when he yeah. hears that it didn't go well. Um, so, so, so And in sad. his defense, he did call first to be like, hey, yep. I'm outside. Yeah. Yep. Which we all know is important to Mary Kay. Call first. Yes. Like, you never, it, um, also, you never open the door for an unexpected guest. No. Ever. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. I mean, this was 2000, this was 2008. So, you know, people were maybe dumber than, actually, I don't know. People might be dumber now. So that's such a that's such a big moment and it plays really intensely and beautifully. Like you've referenced the music that in that moment and it 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 really works. And I don't think they ever hurt you that bad again. That's true. Like that's the worst thing that could happen. And it happens like half an hour, forty minutes into it. Okay. I think that's about the midpoint of the movie. So you feel for James in that moment when he shoots his best friend's head off. Mm-hmm. However, Number one, this is why we need more gun control laws. Because... 100. Because James not only does not know how to operate a gun, which does not make you a good or bad person, but he lies that he does. And that is incorrigible. Especially because he's given that false hope to his girlfriend about, like, Oh, yeah, we have a gun. My dad hid it from us as kids. Okay, also, number one, this is why we need more gun control laws. Because your kids in your house need to know, number one, that it's there. Number two, where it is, so they don't happen upon it. And that think it's to a me, toy. That happened to me as a kid. Um, one of the other pastors at the chapel in North Carolina had like the, the chapel staff over for for dinner. So, you know, tons of young children running around. These are Navy chaplains. They're like, you know, they were everyone was in their mid thirties and had kids under the age of ten. Um yeah. so I think there may be half a dozen of us kids scuttling around a house on base, which is not large. And we were just goofing off and I can't remember how we ended up going under the couch at some point. I think maybe a ball roll under there or a pen or a piece of paper. Out comes a rifle. Yeah, you gotta hide firearms up high, which I think they do in the film, but still. Yep. From under the couch. Now, is that, does that make sense to me as a place to put your gun to get to it quickly if something happened? Yes. Does that make sense to me as a place to put your gun when in your home there is an infant and a crawling toddler? No. No. I don't care if the gun is locked. I don't care if it's unloaded. Um, it's, oh my God. And, you know, yeah. he jumped up and snatched it from us and yeah. stuff. And I'd like to think that that moment really put some fear of God in him about like, okay, <laughs> whatever I thought worked when it was just the two of us. Now there's kids and we got to change this up. But yeah. For sure. And I know that that's not what happened in this movie, mm-hmm. but I also think it's really important. And of course, like, depending on the ages of the kids, sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's not, but they're out in the country. And if you have a gun in your home for your own safety, and you are a hunter, it is your job to make sure that everyone living in your home knows 
how to operate it in case of an emergency. Right. Well, Emily, so Emily Brooks, who's been on the show a couple of times, she did a deliverance and tried to be a sound with us. Um, mm-hmm. So she grew up West Virginia on a farm and there was a, there were guns in the house and there was an age at which they were not, they, they don't interact with that. This is what it is for. This is where it lives. And you don't touch this. And then at a certain yeah. point it was here now is when in an emergency you would use it and here's how you do it. And then it was, all right, so this is what it's used for, which is like, you know, picking off coyotes or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. And you are now a, like a member of the household who is old enough, responsible enough to take part in that responsibility. Mm-hmm. That now you participate in that. But she was like, that wasn't like something we did for fun. Like the idea of a gun being a sport was was new for me. Once I got older mm-hmm. and met people who said that, because that's for us, it was functional. It was like having a hammer in your house. Right. You used it when you yeah. needed it. And the rest of the time, it was potentially dangerous. So you didn't touch it. Yeah. Well, what I thought was really interesting in the movie, the fact that he said, well, no, that was just something that I said. Yeah. That's what makes it insufferable is that he but lies I, about but it. I, but at the same time, like, what are certain things that in the early stages of dating do we tell, like, kind of a white lie? Like, so, oh, I'm from the... No, no go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I, I want to hear the last thing. And and so I just thought it was really interesting that of all the things they could have done in this movie, I just really want to hear what Mary has to say. I just, I'm just really <laughs> want to hear what she has to say. So my immediate thoughts, so we're talking about, like, gun control attitudes about guns, and I think one of the issues is that guns are tied up so intensely in our idea of masculinity. Mm-hmm. That's why he lies about mm. it. It would look shitty if the other men in his family use guns and he doesn't, or he feels like it would. And I, w- I could see him like in like the first like part of their courting or dating if him saying, yeah, my dad would take me hunting. Right. Like, like it's such like a small thing that like, at what point would you think that it would really come to a head like this? You're never going like, to get caught. <laughs> You're never going to get exactly. caught. If she doesn't like to hunt, if she doesn't use guns, when's it going to happen? Well, it's going to exactly. happen about two minutes before you shoot your best friend in the face, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I know it's just like bad news on bad news, but oh boy. <laughs> she is going to think you have a smaller penis and you're going to kill Mike. But since like... Right before this, we were talking about at what point does it lose steam or at what point does it not hold up. One thing that I did want to say was that at the very beginning, I felt like it was so thick with, mm-hmm. um, not plot, but I felt like there was so much involved that you were so involved in what was going on between them. Mm-hmm. Like with every tiny little action, there was something being said. But then when the actual plot with the strangers came in and then like terrorizing them that completely fell apart mm-hmm. and they became like these uh stereotypes like oh yeah i'm gonna leave i'm gonna like s- let's separate and it was all these like really dumb shit mm-hmm. yeah that yeah. you see in like typical slasher films that like the first part that I just feel like there were like two separate films just squished <laughs> together. I really thought the movie was going to center more on like how did these people who have just lost, like who went in a matter of moments from totally aligned and in love to having lost such a tremendous amount of trust, how do they navigate this together? And it just became an odd issue. Yeah. That's why you got to watch The Lovebirds. I, I mean, look. Anything Issa Rae touches, like, basically turns to gold, so I'm down. I know. She's amazing. Yeah, I do want to talk about these horror movie tropes, though, and you brought up a good one. I love how you wrote, I'm going, quote unquote, get help. You just, <laughs> uh, stay here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, great. it's been like, it's been like, what, 20 years of people, like, calling out that stereotype of a like of a trope would be like, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. You don't and he's separate. like, yeah, I'm gonna in the middle of the night and we're being terrorized. I'm gonna go get help. You stay here. Yeah, I was like, why he- wouldn't she come with you? You guys are like the same height. It's not like her stride is so short she can't make it to the car with you. Mm-hmm. Well, just go. Yeah, take her with you. So, did y'all like Kristen and James? Again, considering the fact that this is two different movies in one, in the beginning, yes. Okay. In the beginning, yes. Individually, I did like them. The second half with, like, the bullshit happening, no. Okay. No. I'm kind of there for that. Like, in the first 
you know, 10, 20 minutes, I was really into like what was going on between them and like, oh my God, how are they going to... Like you could empathize with both of them from both of their situations of how they were feeling. Yeah. Like he was really butthurt and it's like, you can (laughs) get why you yeah, can he understand like, why. this is so embarrassing and that really mm-hmm. that really got to me because i was like oh my god he's saying there's nobody else here nobody else even knows but that's what he's feeling yeah. like i get mm-hmm. that i i feel that yeah. yeah and her still trying to talk to him she thought she just said i want to break up she just right. didn't want to get married and like I, oh man so i was like so there for all of that and also that's a really hard thing to say no to especially in the moment mm-hmm. yeah because it's like I mean, it's hard enough to tell someone what they don't want to hear. Like, we were just talking about that, like, avoidant behavior. But that's, you're on the spot. The spotlight Mm -hmm. is on you. And to kind of, to say, like, nah, like. To pull the carol at Diwali? Yeah. That's hard. That's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, every time. Especially if she does care about him, right? Like, it's easy if you don't give a shit. Right. Well, every time a rich and handsome man has proposed to me. Um, there's been some kind of external factor in my, in my logic. Yeah. Like there was something that like, what they couldn't argue with that. It wasn't really me. So it was fine. It wasn't a big deal. (laughs) All the proposals I've fielded and rejected. Including mine, by the way, let's just throw that in there. I have asked Mm -hmm. her to marry me multiple times and she has refused me. One day I will get her. Well, I, she's not rich enough guys. (laughs) <laughs> I want to live a life of leisure. I've got to marry rich because I'm never going to, I'm not, I don't see that happening for me. So I need to. <laughs> um, so we talked about the motive of being because you were home as kind of a trope. Uh, do we want to unpack the ending? I want to hear what you think about that ending. What, what all of your, uh, your feelings about it, Mary Kay. Tell me about the ending, Mary Kay. Me? Tell me about the ending. Okay. So I feel like the ending starts with the Mormon boys with their bicycles and the pamphlets and the truck coming up to them and one of the murderers getting out and saying, can I have one? And I did not understand the point of that. I was just like, this is... Very inconsistent. We have none of the quality. Like, we don't know anything about the killers. Why would I care that this person is potentially having an existential crisis and inflicting her crimes on these two little boys? I think it's the opposite of a existential crisis. I think it's the fact that they just committed this thing and then they see this religious people. And it's like, I feel so empowered by this that... I am bigger than God. Except that when she gets back in the truck, the one says, it'll be easier next time. Right. Because I thought it was going to be one of those fucked up in your face moments as well. Right. And then when she gets in, I was like, is she seriously conflicted? Like, did she make them pull over to think about her immoral soul? I think it was more like a game. I think everything they do is a game. And then when she said, um, it'll be easier next time. Well, next time they probably won't have an external party coming to the property to help with the failed engagement. I don't know. From a storytelling perspective, if that's what she's referencing, that's a huge, that's a total cock That's true. Because you can't, that's like, true. to put those events in sequence, like, primes us to link those events, right? Right. They accept a pamphlet about Jesus. One of them talks about the morality of the event, of the events that have occurred. Like, I, I'm inclined to link those two. If what right. she meant was, it'll be logistically simpler next time, then that was a terrible, terrible move. And all they had to do was not have the little Mormon boys stop. They can still find them right. at the house. They just didn't have to like have them take mm. a pamphlet from them. Yeah. And also, I don't know if they were Mormon. I I guess I just kind of assumed because we associate Mormon um, evangelism right. with, with door going door to door. door. But um, also, was anyone else creeped out with the stoicism by with which the little boys navigated the house? Well, I thought that was them on the 911 call. It was, but so we start the movie with a 911 call, right? Which is after she screamed, I'm, I'm assuming. Right. But when they first walk in, they're just like, checking out the blood, checking out I the blood. I thought body. they were they're in s- shock. 
I, I kind of figured. I was Yeah, I just felt like it was shock, like they didn't know what they were seeing at first. I was trying to picture, like I was trying to imagine any kids I've I've known over the years, and I couldn't imagine them like walking into the house in that state. Like I, I feel like any kid I've ever known would like get close enough to see any blood or a body and be like, nope, 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 and go run in the opposite yeah. direction and go find somebody else to deal with it. But I feel like <laughs> someone of a deeply religious background would be inclined to help. Like help, if they yeah. saw all that and happening, they might go in. They do make the case that it's isolated out there. So maybe there's right. nowhere else yeah. to go anyway. So, I, I mean, right. it just, it, it didn't land with me until the second time. But I was like, what are these kids doing? <laughs> and like with like movies or books, like you can't like always get like the very like most visceral natural reaction. If sure. it's like planned by adults or whatever. But my whole, my, my whole idea, and I still stick to this idea is that I believe the people who are behind this, the perpetrators, the, the strangers, is that they're part of some kind of cult. I don't believe they're like the leaders of the cult. And I know we'll talk about the people specifically who are engaged in the killing. But I really think that this is like a part of like a larger cult, that they go and they do these certain things and that just because another guy like a stranger comes they have to adjust their plans but they they fit like a certain playbook and it just seems so organized to the fact that can we can we just acknowledge that they did not bring a single weapon right of their own they used strictly what was there yeah Yeah, but that what was there that speaks to me of rather than organization that feels chaotic to me yeah. They were willing to see what happened to be in like that means they have to be making it up as they go because they don't know what their options are. But do you see the way that they finesse it? Like they have to know that like people have even if it's just like a knife, even if it's not even a gun, it's even just like a knife in the kitchen. I mean, they have to be quick on their feet. Yes. But it doesn't yeah, it just And also and also it's like Central America. Like we're, we're like Everyone's got a gun in there somewhere. When you said Central America, I was like, oh no, sweetie, it's happening in the United States. No, I mean like um, Central then I, USA. And I landed where you were. No. Like Midwest. Mm-hmm. Is that where they are? <laughs> Is that where they are? Because if they're eating Bluebell, I'm not so sure, girl. I had no idea. Bluebell's regional. So Bluebell is Texas, but you can get okay. it. You can get it. So we're in Arizona. We can get it here. Yeah, I've had it here. Um, in Georgia. I can get it in Georgia. I can get it in Ohio. I've seen it. Okay, you can get it in Ohio. Well, I'm sure it's also way more places now than it was in 2008. So yeah, so I didn't know if that was kind of like a pointed, like, there's a gun, they're listening to country music, and they're eating Bluebell, they're in Texas. Or if it was um, just like we're filming in the Austin area because it's cheap, and this is the ice cream we could get, and we didn't really think about that telegraphing <laughs> location. Mm. But like, I mean, either way, like I said, I was very happy to see Bluebell on the big screen. And I just, everyone go buy Bluebell and eat it. It's very good. It's very good. But one last thing that I will say about my theory that this is probably part of like a larger cult Mm -hmm. was the fact that everything they did to me seems so cool headed and ritualistic that even when they came down to the actual physical killing that they didn't have like so when you have someone who's like a like who is psychotic and just wants to kill, they like ride this high about it. But they did it in such a cool manner. And then after the fact, when they're riding away and you see their interaction with the possibly Mormon boys, they're so cool headed that nobody is riding a high from this. It's almost it's it comes off like a job instead of like, oh, I'm doing this just to do it because it feels good. Yeah, I thought a lot, because I did think about that too, like their level of emotional involvement in this or or mm. their um, the nature of their emotional involvement in this. And something I kept coming back to was the transformative power of a mask. I think I've talked about this on the show before that I yeah. took classes in mask work in college. And it is such a transformative thing to put on the mask. So Pebra, the, the instructor who worked with us, there were some sessions in which we knew the mask before we wore it. We had seen it or we understood context about it, something. But there were so many sessions in which you stood, he had he had them like in a bag, like a dark bag, you couldn't see. And you stood, we stood in the line with our eyes closed, and he would place it on your face, at which point you would tie it. So you never saw what you were wearing. The entirety of your experience of the mask was 
And it wasn't even other people's reactions to you entirely. That's what was so bizarre was that there were so many times that we would wear a mask and the other people in the room as we, as we processed after would describe their experience, like their assumptions about or their beliefs about the mask one way. And we would say, see, I felt and I was doing and I believed as I was wearing it. And then we'd find out what the mask was in its, in its historic or ritual context and learn that what we were experiencing internally was very truthful to the intent and history of the mask, even though no one in the room knew what that was. And the other people looking at us didn't necessarily get that from the appearance of the mask. It's a super, it's such an intense and bizarre thing. And I think it might be something that as we're listening to this in a few weeks, we can identify with a little bit more, which is that having your face concealed changes the nature of interaction with other people. And I kept coming back to that and thinking like, man, if, if there were ever going to be a way to chill as fuck, stroll up in a house, murder the shit out of people, then walk out and like go pick up another carton of Bluebell. Wearing a mask <laughs> wearing a mask could be the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like to, to regulate your own emotional response. You know what I mean? Wear the mask for the experience you want to have. Yeah, for sure. Like the blank, blank baby face ones. Those are Hate not it. okay. Don't like them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like that at all. Honestly, kind of prefer bag head to the baby faces. They are both terrifying. I don't like masks. And I, I don't think many people do, especially kids. Mm-hmm. They hate right. them. They're so yeah. scared of them. Like when the mascots at Disneyland go to kids of a certain age, it's like, fucking no. Yeah. I'm taking no. it off. Yeah. Yeah. And I oh don't know. My- oh, shoot. Oh, wow. We all had realizations at the same time. I had an idea for a closer, <laughs> but you already have a closer I in yield. there. I yield. I yield. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna type in an, an alternate closer and we can do both for funsies. How's that? Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Whoever was, whoever had a thing. Go, go, go. I lost my train of thought. Go ahead, Rachel. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So I come from like a family of Marines and my father retired at like a high ranking Marine Corps man. And my brother went into the Marine Corps too at a decent ranking. And so when I told them like, hey, I'm interested and I'm all the way out in Maylandsville, Georgia like Baldwin County and they were like, yeah, we're going to send our entire office out to you what? because of like my like family's history yeah, in yeah. the Marine Corps and then at the same time oh my god so they were trying to like advertise on the college for blood work to give blood yeah. and there was this guy walking around but I'm deathly afraid of people in mascot outfits. I hate them. I hate them. I'm so afraid of them. I'm like so not afraid of so many things in my life, but people in mascot outfits do not approach me. I am so afraid of you. And three of them were here all the way from Atlanta. If you know how long it takes from Atlanta to get to Baldwin County, it is a goddamn long time. And they were there for me. And two of them were like making eye contact with me. But the one man, he like picked up on it. He is an empath. And he was like looking over his shoulder, looking at the person in the costume. And he was like, she ain't the one. She ain't the one. And he knew it. He knew it. Did I ever tell you right Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mary Me? I don't want to lose my train of thought again. I hosted a convention when I worked uh, as an event planner, kind of, um, but like after the fact event planner. So really like an event fire putter outer was basically my role. But there was um, the furry convention. Excellent. It no, was like is... walking through a nightmare. No. Yeah. No. Now listen. Not for reason. Everyone was super nice. Yes. But it was so disorienting to not see anyone's face who I was talking to. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Guys, we're not no. shitting on furryism in general. She is saying that personally, this is this is a difficult. Yeah, we all got that. Yeah. Right? No, they yeah. were all super polite. It was honestly one of the easiest social conventions I've ever worked. Mm-hmm. But it was. Just for me personally, yeah, really, like, disorienting, mm-hmm. learning about, like, if your tail is positioned up or down, those mean different things. And there was an adult room, and I was just very, like, mm-hmm. overwhelmed with it, because I don't like not being able to see people's faces, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. 
I, I think that's a legitimate fear to have. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even like wearing glasses because I don't want things on my face. Oh, I like wearing my glasses. You know, once um, we were at a, at a bar for trivia night, and so I was with a friend who also has a, a dog. Um, hers is like 15 pounds as opposed to mine, which is 70. So we're at the bar. We're having a nice time. My dog loves going out in public. He's real chill. He just like sits and lays and like tries to get pets. And when people <laughs> walk down the aisle, he's like, look at me. I'm good. And like tries to like, get their <laughs> attention. You know, it's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Hers does not like any dog that is larger than her, which is every single dog. So like she, all of them. Yeah. She just like shrieks. <laughs> Man, she, she is not, she, she likes going out in public and getting attention from people, but it's tough for her because of the other dogs thing. So we're at trivia this night and some, for some reason, someone's going around in a Yeti costume, like a big white furry uh, costume. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. And the dogs are not excited about it. So um, I get up from the table and walk across the patio to tell the dude, like, hey. Um, I mean, I assume it was a dude because they were over six feet, but I don't know that. And I said, hey, um, and I don't know if you see the table with the black and white dogs over there. They're, they're really, like, they're having a hard time with the costume. Please avoid us as best you can. I know there's not a lot of room, but if you could just make it a point not to, like, linger there, that would be great. Because yeah. it's really freaking them out. That motherfucker walked straight up to our table and, like, tried to interact with the dogs, like, oh, dancing around to be God. funny. Yeah, so her dog was shrieking. My dog posted up, though. Like, ears up, shoulders up, like, barking full hostility. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I'm not about Warning. to have- I'm not about to have my dog- <laughs> Go the fuck away. Yeah, well, the thing is, if my dog had done anything, he would have been straight put the fuck down because he's a 70-pound pit. And I was like, no, I'm not having this. And I just stood up and was like, get away from the table. I already told you. Like, other people around were like, dude, she told you. Get away yeah. from the table. So, guys, I guess you've all found out that now we really hate you if you were- we don't. We, we do. Just don't be that dick. Don't be the Yeti dick, and you're good. Don't be the dick like that dude. Yeti dick is the name of my next book. <laughs> yeah. What <laughs> about Stephanie Sigler? <laughs> don't be the um, Yeti dick, and don't be the dude in the Patrick Starfish costume who felt me up when I was 16. Thank you. Yes, also that is a no. Um, so... There's a couple weird quirks, though, in this movie that I just wanted to run through because i just never seen it before. So, a team of three villains with the main antagonist as a woman. Thought that was kind of cool. The pacing and the chronology, like, it was just paced weirdly. I know that, like, we were saying, like, it didn't work about halfway through, but the beginning was super compelling. So compelling. Because it, it wasn't exactly a frame story, although it sort of was a flash forward at the beginning. Yeah. With the 911 call. So it was just, it was interesting the way it all kind of fell in. Yeah, the construction and pacing in that first sequence mm-hmm. was really fascinating. Like, how, when, and how they chose to reveal information. Really, really interesting. Yeah. I kind of wish the rest of the movie had been that. Had that kind of expositional. Yeah, had navigated information that way. A yeah. little bit disorienting. Yeah, yeah. Another weird quirk is the Mormon boys happening, and as again, assuming they're Mormon, um, happening upon a crime scene after giving a religious pamphlet to the murderers. That is some Flannery O'Connor shit right there, minus the Mormonism. Yes! <laughs> I'm so glad that you said that, because, yes. Well, if it was Flannery O'Connor, they would have been fake Catholics, right? True. Catholics are faith ca- fake Catholics. And the, there would have been some kind of, like, um, Disabledism. Yes, and it would have been named uh, some aphorism that was vaguely sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then my last weird quirk that I wanted to mention was Mama Tried and other classic country gold playing during the horror movie. So, like, I've only ever heard of that being done with, like, Freebird at the end of a Rob Zombie movie. But I like oh, that. Oh, God, Rob Zombie movies. Oh, my God. We haven't yeah, done any of his on here. We mm-hmm. should do one. I'm, are you sure? No. Are you sure? No. Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but one of my friends in high school, Ren, was obsessed with Rob Zombie. And Ren was the coolest. And he, like, works in film now. And I just remember him, like, going on and on about how amazing his movies were. I think it was House of Corpses or White Zombie. I can't remember which one. Because they both came out when I was in high school, I think. But, yeah. And I've never seen them. I just remember thinking, like, oh, that is weird. I probably should see that. (laughs) And never did. 
But yeah. Um, so for, we have two closers. Mary added one. Um, which one do y'all want to do first? I got my country song picked out. one. Okay. So my closer was what country gold song, by the way, country gold for y'all who don't live in the South is essentially, remember like the now CDs where it was like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC is all that except for, it's basically the top 40 or a hundred country songs that are like classic country and they're all amazing um so with that in mind what country gold song would you want playing when you shoot dennis in the face i mean mike in the face on accident well damn because i didn't know it was supposed to be something that was gold just something that we all knew yeah and if you need if you need a list rachel you can just google country gold and the whole track will come up are you ready yeah That's perfect. That's for those who don't know, that is Keep on the Sunny Side by the Carter family. Of course it's the Carters. Oh, I've got one. I don't know if it was ever actually on. I don't think mine was ever actually on Country Gold, but. Oh, that's okay. It's more of an idea. Yeah, yeah. It's an aesthetic. State of mind. (laughs) An actual list. I just. just (laughs) Yeah, I know. I just, you know, just saying. So are we ready? If we're going to play them, I'm going to play mine. Okay. Please, God, please do. Well, they're building a gallows outside my cell. Yes. And I've got 25 minutes to go. And the whole town's waiting just to get to real hype yell. in a second, though. I got 24 mm-hmm. minutes to go. Well, they gave me yeah. for my last meal. The 23 minutes. So, uh, that's a good one. That's uh, 25 Minutes to Go, Live at Folsom by uh, Johnny Cash. Yeah. Also, there is a deeply, deeply terrifying cover of that by Diamanda Gallas. Will you send it in the show notes, yeah, please? absolutely. Because I wanted to see it. And also, before we finish this, because like Mary Kate, I want to hear yours, but also at the same time... When we're done, I want to kind of explore as to why, like, country music and, like, country scenes are scary to horror. Why do you think that is? I think maybe because of, like, when you think of people who are super country, you think of being, like, ignorant. So you think of them being, like, prehistoric to rituals and that they can do anything that is like barbaric. Hmm. I mean, I think adjacent to that is the idea of that super intensely, I think, I think more of like tribal mentality that it's not something you can, Mm, you can learn or become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are, you aren't. And if you aren't, then you you feel like you are the threat. You feel like you are, Mm -hmm. uh, you feel unwelcome. You feel unsafe. It's very like a deliverancey vibe of like, I am the intruder. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the intruder. Yeah. Exactly. There. D- yeah. Everything else we said was dumb. Keep Mary Kay's thing. Oh no! I yeah. I just was listening to y'all and was like, oh, and this. I yes, anded you. Mm-hmm. And I also think that there's something about country people that they are just much more able to survive without any of the amenities that we're totally used to. Mm. Like they just know shit. Mm. Yeah. Like they just know, like they could go into the forest and be like, you can eat this and not that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, I feel like, I feel like I'm interpreted as the threat, but you are the actual threat because there's no way I, I outrun you. I don't outgun you. I don't outlive you. I don't outlast right. you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know that. Plus, um, for me, and this could be, of course, totally different because I'm from the South, but those old songs remind me of childhood and family and cookouts and like fun, relaxing things. So it's a little bit like disarming. I mean, that's how I feel about Parliament Funkadelic and Mighty Sparrow. So, well, that's what my mom listened to. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah. I'm just saying like culturally, like the stuff that would be disoriented, like that makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Kay, what was your song? So I was going back and forth between 
two, mm-hmm. but I think the more gold of the two is David Allen Coe's If That Ain't Country. <gasps> Which is, I'm not going to play because it has bad words in it. Um, We say bad words. Oh. Not those bad words. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think that would be the one, though, because it is the most country of the country, mm-hmm. you know? And, man, I didn't even think about going bluegrass with it, Rachel. Like, that was amazing, like, with the Carters. <laughs> and then kept it in the family with Mary's pick. Yeah, yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Carters to Cashes. Carters to Cashes. Mary, what was your closer? Okay, so I thought when we were talking about this, about what creature you would least like to see maskified in the flesh. Like, which creature from literature, television, film, whatever, would you least like to see Disney mascotified? Cheshire Cat. That actually has happened, though. There is a Cheshire Cat. I hate that idea. <laughs> it's basically just, I mean, we've talked about this before, but in Truth or Dare, when they have that weird smile that's too smiley, mm-hmm. I hate that. Ugh. I haven't even seen that movie that freaks me out so bad. Oh, my God. Y'all, when we were kids, my sister used to make this face that my brother hated so much. Like, she was not allowed to make it, and we would do it just to terrorize him. Was it the rabbit face? My mom used to do that to me when I was a kid. And, she, <laughs> and I'll go, no, I've no, s- mommy. I've seen your mom's rabbit face, and it is it's horrifying. It's fucking horrifying. <laughs> no, the um, this face, it was just her smiling, but when she was little and you told her to smile for pictures, she couldn't smile like a person. So she would just, like, <laughs> she would, like, still stretch out her mouth, but instead of up, it was down. But it was, she had these perfect little baby pearl teeth all lined up. And she smiled like you do, Mary Kay, or like when she smiles, you can see all of her teeth. <laughs> Mary said I have too many teeth. <laughs> Pretty sure I was drunk. Okay, guys, look. Um, but she, you could see all of her little baby pearl teeth and her eyes would get real wide. and sc- it, it really was a pretty scary face, but it was awesome. She um, looks like that Momo doll. Yes. That yes. damn Momo doll. I hate that shit so bad. Yes. Ugh. Haunts me. I got off of social media when that shit was going around. I hate it. Rachel, did you go? No, she didn't. She didn't. What creature would you least like to see made into a terrifying ass mascot that could chase you around a theme park? Sauron. Sauron. I can't think of anything else but that. Because everything right now within quarantine puts it in perspective. (laughs) But if you have to be a Sauron right now, fuck you. You have to go ahead and fuck. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing like a a person-sized foam cutout with the eye on top. So it's like Sauron, but it's only like six feet tall. Can I have it on the record? I have never made her laugh this hard. <laughs> and this is literally, can I say, this is literally the greatest accomplishment of my life. <laughs> to make her laugh this hard. <laughs> she is still trying to breathe, and that makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> idea like Sauron in the flesh except that he would have to be just like so unintimidating (laughs) (laughs) and can you hear her laughing even harder like an actual in the flesh Sauron Disney mascot would be like oh that's not so bad I can just kick him real hard (laughs) where she's like laughing like beyond her control in the background by that suggestion see I pictured him as being just the eye so it's like just a black hole (laughs) <laughs> My teeth are about to break through. It would have to be an eye with the sticking out. It would have to be an. It would be an eye with legs sticking out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> break through what, Rachel? Where are your teeth? The silicone straws. Oh, okay. I thought you had like your gums or your lips or something. <laughs> Me too. I was like, is she teething? How old is she? She got another rub coming in like a shark. 
Oh, oh my god. god. That would be amazing. My face hurts. Me too. This is the best time. It's my fault. It's okay. Mary. Uh-huh. What are we going to do next? Oh, yeah. We've got another bit of a throwback in that we will be doing an episode. About, oh, my God. I'm sorry, guys. I actually, like, laugh, cried, sunblock into my Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Yes, yeah, so coming up, we're doing another bit of a throwback from the year 2000 to uh, What Lies Beneath, <gasps> directed by Robert Zemeckis, that paragon of the 90s, written by Clark Gregg, Sarah Karnakin, and, well, Clark Gregg again, I guess. <laughs> Don't ask me why they credit it this way. It, writing has very, very strange parameters around how you get credit. Anyway, Clark Gregg and uh, Sarah Karnakin. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's all of our favorite stuff. Hot people, lake houses, gaslighting. And don't forget to buy Mary Kay's book. It's amazing. I've, I've read it. It's amazing. Please buy it. Yeah. So thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Don't forget to tell all your friends. <gasps> Thank you. She just trilled her tongue and shimmied her boobs at the same time. Because I'm amazing. It was almost too much goodness. <laughs> Never. Never. All right, guys. We love you. Amazing. Bye. Love you. Bye. Stay safe. Wear your masks, you hoes. <laughs>